happy Oktoberfest season, Ms. Emily Reese, because it's just past the end of August. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty crazy how early it starts. I don't know much about it, but I certainly do know that it's not October. So that, you know, it seems early, but it's my favorite time of year. It's usually, I mean, everybody loves a fest. Yeah. And everybody loves a fest beer. Yeah. So why not just start that fest about a month and a half early? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Oktoberfest started to trickle onto shelves in the middle of August, mm-hmm. and they will they will be full on until the first couple weeks, through the first couple weeks of October. And actually, at that point, some of them are even sold out. So it's like, what's the point? But yeah. I mean, we, we've been drinking them for a couple of weeks, tasting some and learning learning about which ones we really like, which ones we really don't. Yeah. And we thought we'd showcase some of those on the show as well as new ones. That sounds great to me because honestly, it's, it is my favorite time of year. In terms of beer, you know, if I had to pick a beer season... This is my favorite beer season. Jill Mott, sommelier, you teach me about beer and wine and other things like cocktails and hrum and all the amazing, hrum. all the amazing things. How how's it going? Great. We I couldn't do this without the patron love and the the people love all the great comments, questions that we get on our Instagram page and all of that. Thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. Become a patron, support us financially, please. Patreon.com slash scores and pours. We make it really easy for you with tears. You're always going to get patron-only content. One of those is Emily Reese's popcorn recipe. It sounds ridiculous, but you're going to be like, yeah, I'm really glad I'm a patron for that recipe. For your whole <laughs> life, you're going to be thinking and thanking Emily Reese. It's kind of the best thing in the world. I'm the radio host, by the way. Do you want to introduce me, or did you just want to blow by that today? I thought I, I thought I did that at the beginning. Oh, maybe you I did. Was like, did hey, you? Emily, well, I was like, hey, Emily Reese, oh. how are you? Do you want to, you know, get it? Let's talk about Oktoberfest or something. I don't remember. Hilarious. I don't remember either. I, I don't love care. That, I love that you say that. Are you going to blow past that <laughs> one today? What I are you do gonna, love. What are you, wait, what are you going to teach us about on the on the music sector? Oh, well, we're going to... radio host and <laughs> classical music and jazz extraordinaire, Ms. Emily Reese. Emily Reese. <laughs> I'm going to teach you about one of my favorites and one of everybody's favorite jazz standards, which, by the way, jazz standard, it just means it's in the repertoire. It's something that most jazz people are going to know. It's, it's, it's not a definitive list. You know, it changes constantly. But it is a list that people have done these ver- versions of these songs multiple times. Oh, multiple, multiple people have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so we're going to talk about a really great tune called Autumn Leaves and... I, I have managed to whittle the list down. Yesterday, I was at 11 versions that I wanted to share, most of which were Oscar Peterson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but that is possible. But um, uh, I narrowed it down, and, and I'm, I'm really going to try and keep it to four, but I might, I might mention a few others because it's been recorded thousands of times. It's a great tune, Autumn Leaves. Which, by the way, we're on like episode 4,000 right now. Just kidding. We're not there because <laughs> Joe Rogan's only at like 1,500 or something. But, you know, we're at like over 100. We're almost at 110 or something like that. And, yeah, we're and past there. Yeah. So we've listened to a shit ton of music on this on this podcast and yesterday. I said, Emily, what are you going to be focusing on for music? She said, Autumn Leaves. I said, haven't we done that already? <laughs> <laughs> she... You said nope. no. Nope, we have we, not. We did do Oktoberfest. Yeah. Which, by the way, please reference episode 62, because you can go back on patreon.com slash scores and pours. You can go on Podbean, 
Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you listen to your podcasts, A, rate us. But go listen to episode 62 if you want the history of Oktoberfest. We're going to do a two-second rundown, yeah. but we're mostly going to be talking about Oktoberfests that are you know new to the program um, that we didn't taste last year. And just, of course, a l- little cursory, you know, what it should taste like, but we're not going to go into the history because we just, we already did that. Yeah, no need. We're going to try and keep things a little more simple today, I guess, in that, because we've got four beers we want to taste. And I've got about 1,700 versions of autumn leaves I want to talk about. So. Well, perfect. Should we start with uh, <laughs> number one of autumn leaves? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? And that's hilarious because I wouldn't. I don't even know which one I want to pick as my favorite. But... Let me pick. Let me pick. Okay. I just got to see the playlist. Oh, first. yeah. Okay. I think we should listen to, please, the Keith Jarrett trio version. Oh, nice. If we may. Okay. Well, this is one of several times, I believe, that Keith Jarrett recorded this. This is from a concert that he did in Munich in 1986. I think it was released maybe a year or two after that. Um, he, he does that sometimes. He'll release concerts he did from 10 years ago. Oh, but very know. apropos, Munich, the yeah. home of Oktoberfest. Yes. Nice work. Emily Reese Jilmont, just plan- scores and boards, just killing yep, it. Just ESPing our way through this episode. I love this version for a lot of reasons. (laughs) I love Keith Jarrett. I love his live recordings. There's so much energy in them. And actually, a few of these that we'll listen to today are live. And there's just a special energy about that. that, And this tune lends itself really well to that. It's in a minor key, but it's usually played kind of up-tempo. So that also kind of gives it this kind of ominous, kind of mysterious kind of almost nefarious quality to this melody. And um, I, I just, I love this version. Keith Jarrett is a really, we talked about vocalizers in one of our last episodes. He's definitely a vocalizer. So when he starts his solo, you'll hear that for sure. Uh, but Gary Peacock, the bass player, who actually just passed away almost exactly one year ago in early September, 2020, um, he takes the first solo on his bass and sounds totally amazing. And then Keith Jarrett plays. Uh, the drummer on this record is an amazing drummer named Jack DeJanette. And uh, this is Keith Jarrett's so-called standards trio because they you know, had a propensity for making albums of just jazz standards. So that's a little background on who's playing. So Keith Jarrett piano, Gary Peacock on the bass, Jack DeJanette on the drums. Really fabulous version of a really great jazz standard from the mid-1940s, Autumn Leaves. The tune is from the mid-40s, not the recording. Gary Peacock's solo on this. It's absolutely amazing. We're going to talk about other great bass players in this episode too, but I do want to just buzz ahead to Keith's solo just so you can hear one of my favorite things about his playing is these long, windy kind of phrases he has that just kind of snake around the keyboard, and it's just really melodic playing from Keith Jarrett always. And uh, so, yeah, let's uh, move to that. So for everybody listening, this is about, well, that's all of you. 
This is about 218, 220s when he comes in. You can definitely hear him vocalizing in there. Oh, yeah. But I like how, you know, he's just kind of like going up and down the keys, almost like, almost like, you know, you can almost visualize like a leaf, an autumn leaf falling really quickly to the yes. ground. Not necessarily like he's emulating that, but yes. just, just great back and visual, forth. Jill Mott. Word. I can do more than drink, people. <laughs> also did several classical recordings. He does not vocalize when he records classically. And he knows that. He's like, it's just, it's involuntary mm. when he's playing jazz. Yeah. So that's a little bit of that. It's a 10-minute track. It's, uh, you know, Keith, the um, Standards Trio, when they did these these live records, they, ha they were kind of known for doing really long stretches mm -hmm. on these tunes. Do you want me to crack open Oktoberfest? I really do, yeah. Because it's September 6th or whatever day it is? Yeah. yeah. Okay, hold on a minute. Well, they got the levels of carbonation, right? Ooh, a little more carbonation. Just a little pss. Yes. I'm going to pour the smallest little boop into each of these glasses, just so we can see color straight away. Emily and I elected four different Oktoberfest or Oktoberfest style beers. And I think it's really important because one of the, you know, when we talk about beer, Color matters, but some people sort of forego color because they just want it to be hazy and they don't care what color it is. Or as long as it's a stout, it's you know it's dark. You know, but I think with um, Oktoberfest, one of the obviously the first thing we are enticed with is besides the label of a beer, is the color. And now when we look at them, anybody that doesn't know Oktoberfest should should be able to look at these and go, oh, it's kind of an amber copperish beer. Yeah, check. We have had classic examples and otherwise that are pale, that are a little darker of a copper hue. And what they really should be is a, a version of copper, maybe a little bit lighter than copper to be like amber. And they should have a nice head retention, but they shouldn't be overly carbonated like uh, soda water, LaCroix fizzy. You know, they should have just a nice, mellow, beautiful carbonation that's integrated. And... Uh, the quick snippet about the history in 10 seconds or less. They couldn't brew beer in the summer. They brewed it in March. They needed. They were drinking, 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 and all the while the, you, they needed to make room for the beer that was brewed in the winter months. So ha let's have Oktoberfest. Let's drink all the beer in the caves and <laughs> so that room. we can make room. Yeah, That's why there is an Oktoberfest. It was to get rid of beer to be able to make room for new beer. And now we have big parties all over the world. And that's why you see October on the label, but you may also see Marzen, March, because that's when beer was brewed that could not be brewed in summer because 
beer would spoil in the summertime if it was brewed then. So they would brew it in March, store it all summer, and get it out of the caves in October exactly. to make room for more. Yep. And we know that Oktoberfest should be uh, in between about 5 to 5.5% 5 .5 alcohol to 6%. They usually don't go much above that when they are in Germany. We do see, you know, American examples and, and international examples that I saw an 8% alcohol Oktoberfest the other day, and I was like, just Shame. F right off. That's not even okay. <laughs> um, but should we taste a couple of these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Hockershore is probably one of the most traditional. They've been part of the Oktoberfest celebration, I think, since its inception. Um, in the 1800s. And look at that color, Emily Reese. It's beautiful. It, it looks very n normal for me. You know, I mean, I think, I think it looks accurate. <laughs> we elected two German examples from Bavaria, from Munich. Mm. <laughs> Easy drinking, just a little bit of, a little toasty, mm -hmm. almost like if we had um, the smell of golden syrup, but eliminate the sweetness. So you've got yeah. that like it's not maple-y, but it kind of tastes like sultana, raisin, yeah. just what that tastes like, but without the sugar. Yeah. Um, and the next, let's taste this, Varsteiner. Now, Varsteiner, a lot of people look at this and don't think this is like a necessarily a high-quality brewery because they do make a lot of beer. This is one of the best Oktoberfests we have tasted this year. Yeah. 5.9% out of Germany. Let's give this a whirl. Color's just a little bit lighter, just a tinge yeah. lighter than the Hockershore. It just smells good, too. And it's really a, a great idea for those of you that want to actually compare Oktoberfest is it's really hard for you and your friends to say, hey, everybody bring a different six-pack, and then you all start opening one because by the time you get to four, you're going to be drunk, right, or, yeah. or well on your way. So I would highly advise to, like, open one, everybody taste it because it'll be gone in three minutes. Yeah. Open another one, everybody taste it because these taste really similar they do. If you were to taste them one day and then three days later, yeah. or one beer and then you had it four yeah. beers later, you're not going to taste how similar these are, right? One of the biggest differences I taste isn't even really a flavor thing, but I feel like the Vorsteiner is just a, a little bit more carbonated, like slightly more aggressive, just the tiniest bit. Yeah, good yeah, point. I, I feel like the Hockershore is just a little rounder yeah, in that way. Yeah. Nice work, Emily Reese. Going for the <laughs> sommelier certificate or the beer judging certificate or something Maybe like that. Maybe just the Oktoberfest judging. So yeah. That's true. Well, I'll save mm -hmm. a couple of these and then we'll go comparing them with the domestic examples in a hot second after Sweet. we autumn leaves a little more. Okay. Well, I said live, so we're going to stay on that train just for a minute, even though the bass thing really makes me want to talk about a different bass player. But but let's go ahead and listen to maybe my favorite. I oh, I It doesn't matter. It, who cares what my favorite is? Who, this, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Who wrote Autumn Leaves? A French guy in 1945, written originally for a ballet, then it appeared in a film. Okay. And then it just happened to kind of explode on the jazz scene, probably because of Artie Shaw. Artie Shaw might have been the first instrumental jazz player to record it. And then literally just, you name it, They've recorded it. Okay. Well, it's Miles so, Davis, so, Dizzy Gillespie. I mean, I could just hundreds and every okay. single jazz musician you could possibly think of has probably recorded it at least once. That's the thing, too. There are often multiple recordings by the same artist, mm. which is really fun to do, especially somebody like Oscar Peterson, who recorded it, you know, starting in the early 60s through the end of his career. So you can just listen to how they treat the tune differently throughout their lives yeah, and stuff. That's, that's really pretty cool. fun. Um, but we're going to listen to this 
absolutely incredible recording of John Coltrane. And yes, John Coltrane, woohoo, yes, let's give him all the props because it's badass and he plays soprano sax and that's really cool. But the tune starts, it's a live concert, and the tune starts with John Coltrane doesn't even come in for the first few minutes. Rather, it's the pianist, McCoy Tyner, who plays the melody and then takes the first solo. And if you're not familiar with McCoy Tyner, this is probably one of the best crash courses you could actually have because it's just phenomenal playing and like even talking about it gives me goosebumps and listening to it I get really emotional it's just it's such an amazing performance so here's uh, McCoy Tyner on piano John Coltrane on the soprano sax eventually uh, Jimmy Garrison bass and Elvin Jones on the drums 1962 Yes. Let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of McCoy soloing before we fast forward to Coltrane. dancing all over just amazing he's another one we just lost as well earlier in 2021 mccoy tyner passed oh okay yeah just windy leaves just all over yeah yes so good so let's go ahead and listen to john coltrane's entrance on the soprano sax he got his first soprano saxophone actually from miles davis gifted it to him i don't Hmm. know if it's the same one maybe it was instrument. I think the soprano, soprano sax sounds like a tenor saxophone inhaled helium, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a weird thing. And there are players that have kind of a harsh, unrefined sound, which I would almost say Coltrane sort of has. Mm-hmm. It's kind of aggressive and kind of honky. Yeah. You know, yeah, honk-like, I should say. But to me, it's like, do I like every single thing Coltrane plays? No, but do I love it? Yeah. If that makes sense. It's like Bjork. Like, do I love, do I like every single tune? No. But do I love it? Yes. Like, it's just alien. Speaking of alien, let's see how alien... This Brooklyn Brewing out of Brooklyn, New York, East Coast. See how well of a job they did emulating and trying to replicate a foreign beer. Now, in Europe, is the term Oktoberfest protected? 
Not that I know of, no. Oh, okay. So it doesn't matter if it's called an Oktoberfest or a Merzen or Marzen. Correct. I, you can, I think you can call it an Oktoberfest, like if you were to be in Spain or Iceland, if you wanted to make an Oktoberfest, you could. Now, hmm. I think that this tastes, the color's a little dark, but that's okay. I think that the palate tastes a little bit like the beer's good, but I think it lacks the intensity of malt characteristic. Like it's a little bit watery. Yes, exactly. Especially on the finish. It kind of has flavor and then just kind of poof, it's gone. It doesn't have that roundness or softness or maltiness that mm -hmm. the other two have, yeah. And the hops are kind of a little bit jumbly on the finish. It's a decent beer. Yeah. If I bought a six-pack, would I enjoy them with friends? Absolutely. Yep. But would I prefer the Hockershore or the Varsteiner? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. The Hockershore, let's taste that next to it. Twist my arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just more there there with the Hockershore. Mm-hmm. It just ha it has more personality and I guess more characteristic. Yeah, now let's taste the shells. One of the breweries in... Minnesota that has done the best job with Oktoberfest has been Shells. They are located in New Ulm and they have, there was a time where they had a really high number of German immigrants. Shells made a lot of German style beers. They cool. made a Pilsner, they had, you know, lagers, Hefeweizens, and so it makes sense that they would make an Oktoberfest. The color seems to be in my light here, a little bit lighter than the Brooklyn, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit darker than the Hockershore. Do yes. you agree? Yes, I would. This is actually uh, the first Oktoberfest that I paid attention to and that I was like, oh, I really like this. And then I was I knew nothing about Oktoberfest. And so when I went back to buy more and it was like November and they were out, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what do you <laughs> mean I have to wait 10 more months? <laughs> Why, yes, you do. Yeah. And here they do. What I like about this beer is that you get the maltiness. Yep. The hops. It almost tastes like a Pilsner with amber malts mm. or, you know, slightly darker malts. Yeah, it's, it's a little more bitter at the end mm -hmm. yeah. than the other one, uh, than the couple German examples we have. Now, just to be clear, because we didn't state this at the beginning, we go more in depth on this in episode 62, but just so everyone knows, Oktoberfest, if you see Fest Ale, order it, drink it. But in Oktoberfest, that does not make oh. because they are, it's a lager, that is has a more amber or, or slightly darker malts. So even though Oktoberfest is lager, it is a lager. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, I think the shells is it's a really damn good beer. Mm -hmm. I think. Okay. So well, I guess as you're sitting there tasting. Yeah. In order of favorites, mm -hmm. could you go one to four? Yeah. Um, but we'll say that quickly. We'll yeah. save that after. Yeah. Our next version of Autumn Leaves. I'll leave okay. listeners in suspense. Okay. All right. Because then they're going to be like, what are you listening to next? Yeah. Autumn leaves. <laughs> so you, you're going to be left in suspense questioning who yeah. are we listening to, but not, not what. what. Whom will we listen to next, Ms. Emily Reese? I mean, I mentioned at the, at the beginning, we might as well listen to Oscar Peterson, another absolutely phenomenal pianist. And again, this although last, the last one we listened to was a quartet with a tenor sax, or a soprano sax, I should say. This is a trio again, piano trio, so piano... Uh, bass and drums, and I believe it's Ray Brown on the bass. I was going to say, yep. please tell me it's Ray Brown. And Ed Thigpen on the drums, and this is also a live show, also from Europe, I believe Copenhagen. This is a really good example, I think, of um, one of the things Oscar Peterson was really good at, and this trio in particular, uh, is dynamic range and, like, 
they really dial down the dynamics when he starts his solo. It's pretty pretty kind of quiet and chill and then just really gets going. And his technique, Oscar Peterson had some – he was very skilled technically. He had a lot of classical training and you'll hear you'll hear how just he was just a monster on the yeah. keyboard. It's, watch, it's amazing. Watch some videos of him, people. If you want to waste uh, happily waste a couple like an hour, forty five yeah. minutes, easy. Watch some Oscar Peterson yeah. videos. Yeah. So here we go. This is uh, Oscar Peterson's version of it. And I love the intro that he does. And this was pretty standard for how he recorded it. He often played this same same intro. I say every time we listen to this guy all day I know he just he had a touch there's just some kind of touch that he had that I could sit down at the same piano and it would sound like a different instrument Just pour all the Oktoberfests into one glass <laughs> and drink them with a straw. No, I would never do that, but that's how just that's how good this is. Yeah. I'm air basing, by the way, everybody. It's pretty great. Stand-up air basing. So hear how quietly he's playing? He's just mm-hmm. Okay, so how about this? This is just a just to tell everybody how much I love this trio. <laughs> you know, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have shotgun to beer, right? It's like the stupidest thing anybody can do. That's kind of fun, though. I mean, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> if you can even finish it and then you're just drinking too fast, whatever. But it, it is, it's a, you know, whatever, a beer drinking game or party trick. Nobody could shotgun it out of a bottle, right? Because there's yeah. glass. yeah. If I could go back in time to watch this trio live, I would run the risk and I would shotgun something out of a bottle. Someone could like pop a hole, be yeah. like, no glass, no glass will go down. We promised, Jill. And I'd be like, mm, you can go listen to Oscar Peterson trio. Okay. Yep. 
All day. Just gonna take off the. Yeah. Take off the. Uh, Amazing. Headphones now, because I just get frustrated when it's that good. Yeah. Can I do one more, or should I wait? We're making this quick. I'm about to go to Greece. Yeah. We're recording our last episode uh, for a short, short while, of course, because we'll be recording um, from a distance. I cannot wait to hear. There's a surprise, of which I will not divulge. Oh. Uh, that Emily and our producer have in store. I can't wait for that. Oh, I know. That's going to be amazing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so is there anyone you want to revisit? Well, Varsteiner? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm ready. Go ahead, Emily Reese. So. Should I go? I was going to say, I was going to say Hockershore, Vorsteiner, Shells, Brooklyn. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say too. But then I, then, I flipped Vorsteiner and Hockershore. Yep, on the retaste because it warmed up and the Vorsteiner. The got, malts got a lot better on the warm up. So mm-hmm. if anything, I would do that. I would flip Vorsteiner first, Hockershore, then Shells, and understanding that I think that Shells is so good. It's so good. Honestly, the only one that I kind of just don't really like is the Brooklyn one. Agreed. But the Shells is delicious, and obviously the Hockershore and the Vorsteiner are delicious. And this is why I would urge all of you too that are interested in tasting a few of these. You can go and tell your homies, hey guys, let's all. You know, go in on a few, get a few six packs of them, you know, of your, you know, three different kinds. But most retailers in a good market will have like sell singles. And so go pick, you know, five or six from Bavaria and then three or four domestic ones to get an idea of who's able to actually perfect is the wrong word, but to get really close to doing, you know, uh, and I will say I'd be remiss if I didn't state that. A lot of people would say that, in this case, Hockershore, Varsteiner, these are benchmark, right? Yeah. But they would also say these are mass-produced beers. They're making hundreds of millions of liters a year, which that's true. You know, that's yeah. fine. But they're, it's still so correct, and it's yeah. still so well-made, mm-hmm. according to the German purity law. And so if, if it still tastes... I mean, you know, yes, are they a big producer? Yes, but are they making... Still, the benchmark style the world around, Varsteiner and Hockershore are doing that. So honestly, I, if if I could just give a little shout out to to the Polliner that we had, because that was absolutely delicious and the color was lighter than expected, but the flavor was still really delicious. So that's another good option. When we tasted it, it was out of a tall boy and it was like six percent alcohol, so it was get, getting a little bit hotter in alcohol. But at the same time, when we tasted it, we were like, "Wow, it tastes like the malts are darker." But it has paler malts, so that was kind of an interesting comparison. But the yeah. effervescence was there. It was delicious out of a can, mm-hmm. great out of a glass as yeah. well. Yeah. And, yeah, you you have some staghorn from New Glarus. We're not featuring it today on Scores and Pours because we featured it last year. So get a load of episode 62 if you want to hear what we tasted last year. And, yeah, let's go out on some autumn leaves. All right, great. This is... Again, another favorite uh, recording of it from pianist Bill Evans, who we've uh, had on recently, actually, uh, on Scores and Pours. But this recording is just so absolutely iconic and includes the the same bass player from the other track that we talked about, a, a young man named Scott LaFaro, who died at the age of 25 in a car crash. And so that uh, car crash was in 61. This recording... Uh, was in 1960. It shows up on the album called Portrait in Jazz. Bill Evans on piano, Scott LaFaro on the bass, Paul Modian on drums, and just, you'll hear, it's phenomenal 
bass playing. It's absolutely phenomenal bass playing. Listening to Bill Evans is one thing, and and you really get a sense for the way he liked to voice certain the the notes he chose to put in certain places and things like that. But um, what I I think love so much about this version of Autumn Leaves is the fact that it really highlights the fact that Scott LaFaro just thought of the bass differently than you might think someone would think of the bass. I'm going to interject, if I may, because I used to wonder back when I would be part of the morning show at a jazz local jazz station here, and Emily was DJing, and she would always say the names of all the jazz, all the artists on a track. Yeah. And I was always like, God, add that up every song. And that's a lot of airtime, right? Mentioning these people. Mm-hmm. And it just made me wonder, like, why are we announcing people every time? Like, I get that people want to know my, the, the headliner, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's a, you know, a, a couple soloists of note. But I realized, like, the more you get really deep into jazz, like, you could go down this rat hole of some random drummer yeah. who then you're like, that becomes really important to know not only to listen to jazz and recognize some of these people through the sound that they're making, but also you can go on Spotify and put some of these people's names in who you really don't know much about, mm-hmm. and you'll get a laundry list of stuff if yeah. they've been on enough tracks. And yeah. that's a really fun way to dive deeper into jazz that you're not just looking at like John Coltrane or or even... Oscar Peterson, you're able to see people that they thought were good enough to play with. Yeah. And that ends up be- making jazz to me so much richer. So thank you for, on each and every track, <laughs> telling us who's playing. Yeah, for sure. Let's listen to these fellas play Autumn Leaves. And do pay attention to that bass playing. Bass player started to take off, and Emily and I both just take a big sip of the verse, and we're like, "Okay." <laughs> but listen to the conversation these two have. Mm-hmm. The drummer has dropped out, right? So it's just bass and piano, and just listen to them talk. drummer comes back. It's almost as if the percussionist was the drummer, was like putting in the accent marks or the punctuation, Yeah, you know? And then the, the other two are actually doing the, the speaking. Yeah. Yep. So let's skip ahead to a little Bill Evans. Sure. Which is like five seconds later, guys. We're at <laughs> 2.05 here.
I gotta have some honorable mentions of people we didn't get to hear today. And hopefully we'll do a part two on Autumn Leaves someday so I can pick up some of these stragglers, but... So we'll get to the other 1,400 versions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seriously, it was so difficult to whittle this list down because it's such a revered piece of music, and it's not as standard of a song form, so I think that makes it more interesting for jazz music- musicians to play. We didn't even get into that, but the form is... It's not A-A-B-A, like... Some of the things we've talked about in the past, it's a little different than that, and it's minor. Minor makes it fun. Up-tempo makes it fun. There are slower versions. There's a really beautiful version by Vince Guaraldi, the pianist that we've talked about in the past. One of my favorites of all times, and just let me finish before you make any judgment, is Bobby McFerrin with Chick Corea. Chick Corea, piano player who also passed away recently. Bobby McFerrin is such a talented vocalist, it's not even funny. But what is funny is how they do this version of Autumn Leaves together on stage, I think at Carnegie Hall in the early 90s, and uh, they kind of make fun of the tune at the beginning, kind of as a lounge jazz tune, and then they just get really serious about it, and it's just, it's mind-blowing how how, uh, gifted both of those musicians were. So that's one we didn't get to today. Now we'd like to do a song that's... One that we know that all of you are familiar with. Um, It's one of those legendary ballads that's (sighs) been one of my personal favorites for many, many years. I love hearing Sonny Stitt play it. He's a tenor saxophone saxophone player who kind of gets overlooked a lot, you know, because we had people like John Coltrane. Um, Sonny Stitt plays with Hank Jones in the 80s, and it's absolutely fantastic. Sonny Stitt had such a beautiful sound. duet between guitarist Jim Hall and bassist Ron Carter. I mean, there's so many. It's just not even fair. I'm sorry. I could go on and on, but I'll stop. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Stop only because we're going to feature them on Autumn Leaves Volume 8. Yeah. And and let's go out on an honorable mention. Uh, Oh, sweet. So who do you want to go out on? You pick. Sonny Stitt. Oh, sweet. All right. Let's do it. I like me some Sonny Stitt. To... Oktoberfest. To Oktoberfest. And to Autumn Leaves. To Autumn Leaves and to Scores and Pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find an Oktoberfest list and a playlist and support us financially at patreon.com slash scores and pours. You'll also find a link there to our merchandise and, like tees and hoodies and such. We're on Instagram and Twitter at scores and pours. Please uh, hit us up with a message or a comment of some sort. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you at scores and pours. And please rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Consider supporting the musicians we featured today by buying their music. Edited by Jill Mott and Emily Reese, our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Inc. Yeah. Oh, little June. Little June.